As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One Haas Alumni Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and today we're joined by Mikhail Schneider. He is the president and CEO of Nightingale College out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mikhail is also class of 2008, part of the evening and weekend program. Welcome to the podcast. All right. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Mikhail, I love to start these conversations just hearing about your background, especially people who are immigrants. So, you know, I'd love to hear kind of your origin story, where you're from and where you grew up. Yeah, it's it's quite a loaded origin story. I grew up in Belarus when it was part of former Soviet Union. And obviously, you know, it's been in the news lately and I've been in the States for close to 30 years now. And unfortunately, the situation in my homeland hasn't improved any, as we've seen in the news lately. But for me back then, when I was growing up, I'm half ethnically Jewish and it was tough growing up in the former Soviet Union, being a Jew and having a Jewish last name was a tough proposition. I was born in the early 70s and it wasn't as bad as things were for Jews, for my grandparents earlier on, but I still got some brunt of constant bullying in school and sort of opportunities were very limited having the last name that I had. And so I was about 13 and I went to my parents and I asked, Hey, like, I hear great things about America. Can we go to America? (laughs) (laughs) Because I hear people go there. And yeah. they laughed and they said, sure, dear, you know, if America and when America calls, we'll go. Yes. <laughs> and I said, well, I, really? Like, what if I go ahead and figure out how we can do this? Are we going to go? And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, fully believing that would never happen and give a boy a challenge. You know, I always say, I, you know, I went to the libraries. I kind of talked to people who were looking at immigrating, got the paperwork from the American embassy, filled it out, brought it to my parents and said, hey, sign here. It was all the ethnic persecution that this was based on. And again, constant bullying. I I essentially told my story and I said, please, please, I can't live here. I want to go there. And, And we sent it in. I sent it in, you know, put stamps on and then forgot about it. And about five years later, America called. So we got invited to an interview and we were granted refugee status and we had to leave within six months of receiving that permission. And yeah, it was tough, you know, for my parents leaving a bunch of their family behind and they did it for us kids. I have a younger brother as well. And coming here to the States, having nothing, essentially, absolutely nothing, a few suitcases, a couple of thousand dollars, that's all we had. And then sort of building life from there and doing all sorts of odd jobs and learning the language and getting to finally, you know, four years into it, I was able to have enough language under my belt to uh, sit for the nursing licensure exam in the States. I actually finished my nursing school right before leaving Belarus. So I was a nurse, but unlicensed. And then 96, it came true. And then I got to practice nursing in the States and kind of started building my life from there. Do you mind me asking, what did your parents do back in Belarus? And what did they do over here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, they, they actually, I, I'll preface this with the fact that they 
constantly tell me how thankful they are for that 13 year old that pushed them and, and kind of wouldn't give up. You know, I am persistent <laughs> and, and resilient. And so, so they thanked me all the time, but yeah, they were both engineers back there. They were chemical engineers, both of them. And so coming here, obviously they couldn't do that. My mom ended up working, finding a job as a bookkeeper and then kind of progressed into accounting, all of that self-taught essentially, or learned on the job and did that for a couple of decades. And then my dad was managing inventory for this furniture showroom in New York. And so they lived in Brooklyn for quite a while. They moved to Salt Lake not long ago. So, so yeah, they, they essentially sacrificed, you know, they were in their early forties uh, when we came to the States and they made a lot of sacrifices and those were kind of the end of career jobs for them. Initially we did everything. And one of the jobs that my dad and I did, I remember very early on being in New York, we somehow stumbled into this, <laughs> a company that would dress us up as Barney, the, you know, purple dinosaur. The dinosaur? We <laughs> yeah. We knew nothing about. And then, uh, so we would, you know, in the heat of the summer in New York, standing like on the street corner in the Times Square and, uh, one of us would be Barney and the, uh, the other one would be taking pictures, Polaroid pictures and, you know, selling, selling it to two kids that, you know, with parents that, that were passing by. So yeah, that, that was like one of the jobs that my dad did. My dad drove kind of car service, a cab uh, for a while I and mean, did all sorts of other things. But yeah, I, I, now they're able to travel the world and, and see the world and do stuff. And so I'm so, yeah. I'm, it sounds like you guys first moved to New York. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So we landed there and, you know, all my childhood kind of imagination dreams about what America would be or what New York would be uh, vanished immediately. I just couldn't believe my eyes. You know, it was early nineties in, in New York and it was dirty and it smelled kind of funky. And so I, yeah, I was quickly disillusioned. And then, you know, being in my older teens, not, you know, I was 19 when I came and, and not having a great relationship with my dad at that time. And, and so I said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go travel, <laughs> travel. So I had $40 and I moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with $40 because I had a friend there who they actually immigrated a year prior to that. And so I called her and I said, Hey, can you, can you house me for a bit while I look for a job? And so, yeah, so I moved to Milwaukee and I spent about nine months there and the first winter there was unbearable. And so right after it thawed out, I went back to New York and I spent some time there. That's so funny. You know, being pride month, I do have to ask growing up in Belarus, what were the sentiments towards LGBT individuals? Yeah. You know, on top of being Jewish, right. half Jewish. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> exactly. And so I think part of the bullying came from there, from that, although I really didn't understand there was not even, it wasn't spoken at all. It sort of grew, my growing up, I didn't know LGBT community even existed. It's a interesting thing of kind of identity with me finding that eventually. But I didn't fully realize that I was gay until we moved to the States. 
And all of a sudden it was like something smacking you in the face. I'm going, I, I, I went like, wow, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, it makes sense. <laughs> all of this that, that, uh, you know, I've been experiencing and I, and I did, I, I dated a girl like there in my teens, you know, and, and, and it's normal. Then after, <laughs> yeah. So, so it, 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 and, and for my parents, I mean, I didn't even know that gay existed, yeah. let alone understanding me and who I was. And so obviously the states, you know, help with it. But going back to your question, the sentiment there after the fall of the Soviet Union and going back and visiting, it is gay people are persecuted and it is the public sentiment is not at all in favor. And even going and meeting somewhere or, or going to the clubs, the clubs are all underground. So you have to, they use something that's, I, I never knew that existed until going back and, and something that's called face control, where in order to get into the club, you have to come with somebody who already has been there and so who can vouch for you essentially that th th this is this is a person permitted yeah so gay people are persecuted bullied and, and beaten and, and worse and so yeah it's unfortunately still still remains to this day and as much as i thought that america would be that savior for me it it, it, it became even bigger and 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 so much bigger afterwards that i could after i figured it out i could actually be myself. Although I have, I have other stories of sort of journey to myself, which are quite heartbreaking essentially. Yeah. I can talk a little bit about it. So after I passed uh, my nursing licensure and I was so excited to get my first job as a nurse in the States, and I didn't want to live in New York any longer because I just wanted to escape the cold yeah. <laughs> for, for a while, I just couldn't stand the winters. And it was so hot in summer, so, so, so cold in the, in the winter and, and the snow yeah. dumped in, in 1996, I remember there was a blizzard in the middle of the uh, winter and I had to like walk in the snow for miles to go to work. And uh, I was yeah. like, oh no, as soon as this <laughs> thaws out, I'm out of here. So I got my first nursing job in the States in Florida. So I moved to Florida wow. and yeah, exactly what a change, right? Not knowing anything about it, just knowing that it was much warmer. And, it, you know, start, started working. I spent the vast majority of my career, nursing career in dialysis and nephrology. And so I started working in a dialysis clinic and met some people. And this is my mid twenties and life was just becoming great and wasn't poor anymore. I could do one job and be able to pay for my living and all of that. And so met some people, discovered drugs which are not the greatest thing to do, but Hey, yeah. what do you do when your prefrontal cortex is not fully formed yet? Right. <laughs> exactly. You, yeah. You, you, you try <laughs> things out anyway. So long story short, a couple of years into it, I had a pretty bad experience, uh, with some psychedelics and, um, really, I was petrified coming out of it. Didn't really understand what, what was happening then for years had kind of, as a consequence of that had panic attacks and. Uh, things like that. But, you know, I thought, oh, wow, I remember, you know, for my grandparents who have survived the, the World War II and all the atrocities of it and witnessed just horrific stuff. I remember them, although re religious practice was prohibited in the Soviet Union, they were able to keep up their traditions kind of on their own. And always if when something tough came up, 
they always turn to their practice. And I thought, oh, oh great. And, and to, to that point, I wasn't religious at all. I didn't follow anything. And I thought, oh, I'll try that. Maybe that will help me with, with the fear and the anxiety that I'm experiencing and all of that. And so it happened to be right down the street, there was a Southern Baptist church that I stumbled into. And, you know, and with all due respect to anybody with any practice, I, I introduced myself uh, to the pastor and he asked me to tell him about myself. And I said, well, you know, I'm a nurse and I had this bad experience. And uh, then the next thing came out of my mouth and I said, I'm gay. And wow, that turned dark pretty quickly. And so I was, you know, immediately told that I was an abomination and I didn't know what that meant. So I had to kind of look it up later and that everything, you know, everything all the bad things that I experience in my life is because of essentially who I am. And, and, you know, and it's a simple solution. You only have to not be you. You have to kind of denounce you in order then to find peace. And as you can imagine, peace wasn't found through doing that. And, and so I, I spent kind of climbing back out of the, what I describe as darkness really it took a long time and sort of, you know, as a human being, I, I think the biggest fear that one might have is fear of being in your own skin, right? And fear of you. And so for me, like, again, journeying back and reconciling and journeying to self-acceptance and, and journeying to my humanity, essentially, and, and recognizing it and learning about it and doing all of that. But it was many years of hard work and, and that everything from, you know, just becoming much healthy, healthier and, and from movement to meditation to all sorts of things, and then eventually arriving at this place of just peace. And so, you know, part of the reason I built you know, Nightingale College was built the way it was a deliberately developmental organization, which means we look at human beings as human beings, recognizing that human beings carry all of the beauty of humanity with them and all of the fear of it and all of the, you know, things that we're taught, uh, like shame and doubt and constantly, which I had to deal with for a long time. So for me, being able to build a company, I actually, I tell everybody who comes through the doors and we have hundreds and hundreds of uh, collaborators now, um, th that um, I selfishly, I built it for me. I wanted a place where I could feel I belong as a human being, no matter who you are. And that allows me then to explore me and f for me to grow, which, you know, Maslow said, Dr. Maslow said, high, highest human motivation is growth. And so we've built an entire organization, entire company that's built on those principles. It's all about human flourishing and it's all about allowing people the room for it and providing them resources. And again, recognizing each other as human beings when we're at our best days and our worst days is still human and accepting them, right? Accepting failure as part of being human, part of growth, doing all of that. So, so it's, yay. I, I look, <laughs> I would not be able to be today where I am and kind of being able to build this organization. And obviously you know, for the learners, it's the same thing. We, Nightingale is all about creating access to nursing profession for those people who normally would be overlooked for it and not given an opportunity or a chance to do it and be it. And you know, nursing is a one of the best socioeconomic mobility vehicles in the nation. 
And so no matter where you come from and no matter your socioeconomic background, if you can get there, if you can get that license, if you can go and work in the profession, it's an amazingly fulfilling contributive thing that you do, but it also allows you and your family and your community to just like to thrive. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And without having those hardships in my life and, and sort of hitting the, the bottom, essentially, I would not be here now, right? And, and so I, I look, all I look at my past, just an overwhelming feeling of gratitude, just you know, gratitude to have experienced it, gratitude to have learned from it, gratitude to have for failing and then getting back up and certainly gratitude for being alive, being able to, to contribute. So we, you know, and gratitude is part of at Nightingale, we, and it's organically developed over the years. This value statement is called evolvitude and it carries words which have all of the meaning in the world for me, but for us as an organization, like love and kindness and forgiveness and, and trust and courage and all of these things that make humanity just, it's not even employ it when we let it shine, right? As human beings in, in our organizations or in communities or with each other in relationships, it becomes, you know, the light just shines. And, and so and kind of darkness parts. And, and I do have to ask what brought you to Haas, right? You were already a nurse. You already had the upper mobility, right? What push you to, to get further education, especially a business degree. It's, <laughs> I, uh, I actually don't know uh, many nurses. Yeah. I get a business degree, <laughs> right? W which I, I think there probably should be more of. <laughs> I, I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> nurses are entrusted with, you know, running organizations and being chiefs and, and sort of essentially healthcare per se, I truly believe is in our hands of the nursing profession. Yeah. And so the, the more of us that would get business education, I think the, the better it would be for me. It, again, there's a story to that as well. So when I first started working, let me actually rewind a little further back to my childhood. When I was fairly young, I was five years old. My mom, unfortunately, she had a flu. She had to work, you know, Soviet Union didn't take care of herself at all through, through this illness that could be dangerous, but she was fairly young and didn't think anything of it, uh, was made to work. And, and then she ended up as a complication of this flu. She somehow ended up with encephalitis, which is the inflammation of the brain. And so, uh, she spent very long time months in a hospital ICU was clinically dead a couple of times and essentially afterwards uh, she, she survived through it and it's like it's a survivor family really I survived through it and but for several years after that she was kind of disabled to the point where she needed a lot of assistance with just daily living stuff and you know debilitating headaches and she was bedridden for a while so I ended up being my grandma helped quite a bit but I ended up being one of the caregivers to mom and sort of you know and learning through it all that kind of starting to understand what health really is and what health brings to an individual, a family or a community or, and the opposite of health, what illness does. And so I became very passionate about it. Very, again, when you're that young and continue doing something, it becomes sort of part of you. And, and when time came to sort of decide what I wanted to do, I was like, oh yeah, healthcare, medicine, I didn't quite know whether I wanted to be a doctor and that's what I thought. But then, you know, after going into nursing school, it's just what I thought would be a stepping stone 
to this medicine career, it became absolutely clear that that nursing is what I loved and nursing is what I had passion for because of the care that it has at the heart of it, because of what nurses can do for somebody who is at, like on their worst day in supporting them and, and nurturing them and allowing them and giving them the resources and tools and everything else and support that's needed for somebody to get better and to flourish. And so when I couldn't wait to work in the profession and work as a nurse and I got the job in dialysis and in dialysis, nurses work with people who end stage kidney disease, essentially it's a culmination of multiple comorbidities and, and conditions that lead to that terminal illness essentially. But if properly managed, people can thrive even with having end stage renal disease, if all of their other comorbidities are managed correctly. And this is the nurse's job. And so I was so passionate about it and it was like amazing puzzles to solve and working with patients and let's see them constantly. And that continuity of care that's there is, is absolutely incredible for me. Chronic care is just so fulfilling. But I started noticing, kind of looking around and some of my colleagues that just didn't have that same sort of like, yay, let's help these people flourish and thrive. And they would, you know, sort of go through the motions and do their job and clock in and out and all of that. And, but not necessarily being as impassioned about the outcomes of, of the care that we provided together. And so that's how my management career began. I, I sort of started saying, oh, how can I affect this? And I was like, of course, I'm going to become a supervisor. I'm going to tell people what to do. And then <laughs> that was all going to be great. A little did I know. And so I essentially went into this full-on lobby campaign with my clinic director to, to promote me to a supervisor. I was like, you don't have to pay me anything more, but just give me the title. And what I've discovered through that, that I had a knack for leadership and perhaps inspiring other people and through this passion of mine, motivating them and doing all of that. And then knack for turnarounds of outcomes and so on. And so I've done that, kind of progressed from there, uh, became a clinic director and at a certain point, and then worked for this company that sort of moved me around their clinics in the Bay Area in California. I moved to California then to do these turnarounds of clinics that were the outcomes, the patient outcomes weren't great, the financial outcomes weren't great, the constant turnover and things like that. And so I was able to, over a period, I did it for about six years to successfully turn around these four clinics, but I was exhausted just absolutely exhausted by then. And I was like, well, what's next? And the company, I went to them and said, Hey, can I just like get a regional management job? And then I'll, I'll maybe train other people how to do this. And then, Hey, scale, we can scale this. And they were like, no, 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 you know, you and your bachelor's degree, not enough. So go, go get masters. And so I, I started thinking about it some time ago and Berkeley's campus for me was a refuge. I used to, one of the things that I did as a kid and, and a teenager is ballroom dancing. And so I discovered UC Berkeley's team for ballroom kind of way ahead of my, any applying to Haas or doing anything. I met this girl that was you know interested and she was part of the team. And then I kind of tangentially became part of that team and competed and danced and all of this. And every time showing up on the campus, I would have this like amazing feeling of connection to it somehow. It's like this energetic thing that was amazing to me. And then when I seriously started 
thinking about getting my graduate degree, I was like, oh, Berkeley is the place, you know, that I don't want to go anywhere else. And then I started learning about Haas and researching and going to info sessions and so on. And it felt like the right fit. I know. Nothing's like Berkeley. <laughs> like, I feel it. I totally feel it. So I applied and I got a polite denial <laughs> from Haas saying, we don't know what Minsk Nursing School number two is. And, and <laughs> we're not sure about your background or your capabilities. So they suggested I take a few UC Berkeley extension classes, like economics, macro and, and, and cal calculus, because apparently the Soviet Union calculus, which is pretty intense, wasn't that great for them. Anyway, so I applied the second time and I got an interview this time and I went and the interviewer, you know, sat across from me and she said, Hey, Many people want this. What do you want to do with this? And I was like, uh, change the world. This question, like my hands to the side question mark in my voice. And, and she was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I got on the wait list. I didn't clear it. So the third time I actually hired, you know, cause I was kind of ready to break through that darkness that I talked about yet earlier. So I hired a life coach to help me to both kind of work through a couple of remaining sort of self things, but then also to be able to determine what it is that I want to do with my life. Uh, and, and so I, I got an interview that the third time around, I, I could have swore that we both were doing interview and make like cartwheels around the room at the end of the 30 minutes, because I was so, I was like, I, I, I do, I want to change the world. And I think health is like one of the most important pathways to that. So wellness altogether, human wellness is what will help us. So I got admitted. I loved, loved, just loved my experience at Haas. I learned so much. I kind of came in at the same time that Din Lyons got his interim role and I was inspired by him talking about, you know, the unsustainable paths of today and how we can change things and bend these unsustainable paths and create, just create, you know, better future and then better, better everything, better world. And so I, and, and then uh, another thing, amazing thing that has did for me, because again, I was so tired from managing and turning around the Alice's clinics and I didn't know how to like, what's next. You know, I couldn't see clearly the career path to this change the world idea. And so uh, career counseling at Haas, that was the last deciding factor as to what my career would turn out to be. And I was in the office the first day of enrollment and they connected me with a career counselor. And I, you know, I could have swore when I went that we did a few sessions and I was like, this looks like tarot cards or star maps. Like, I don't get any of this. <laughs> like, what is this guy getting from some bunch of exercises and so on? And then I show up my fourth uh, session and he said, Hey, we're not going to waste any more of uh, Berkeley's money. I figured it out. I was like, well, what should I do? And she just casually threw out, hey, have you ever thought of education as a career path? And I just like, my mind was blown. I was like, thanks for nothing. I know nothing about education. How is it going to work? And then he was like, eh, just think about it. And I reflected for a while. I gave a notice immediately at my job. And a couple of months later, I, I had my first job in education. And then kind of the rest was history progressing and building, building better change the world through education yeah and health yeah so yeah and health a couple things thank you so much for sharing that story about you applying i think for any prospective students that are listening there is a huge sense everybody including myself 
went through this feeling of, of imposter syndrome, right? Because on one hand, you're going to the business school, you're going to a higher education, to your master's because you don't know, you're trying to figure out what you, it is that you want to do. But then on the other hand, when you're applying, you have to exude this confidence that I know exactly what I'm going to do coming into this program, you know? And it's, it's this, it's this really interesting kind of just, just situation that you get put in, right? And then secondly, you and I share a very interesting relationship with Dean Lyons and that you caught him at the beginning and I met him and caught him at the end. Like my second year, he was retiring. And so as he was going out, I actually had the privilege of interviewing him. He was my 15th interview for, for this podcast. And just to recap and really, really, I mean, not that it's not already codified in stone on campus, but really share with the world, you know, what the, our defining leadership defining principles, principles are. Yeah. And look, those are so, they weren't quite there. I mean, contextually, right. And conceptually he had them, like I heard those things the first time I heard him speak. And he's one of the most inspiring, I think, leaders that I have ever encountered. And then watching the words crystallize out of the ideas and th those four things, I, I, like you can not necessarily the same words, but all of the spirit behind them are all over Nightingale College and our kind of organizational frameworks. And it is amazing. It's like another part of gratitude is, is really being thankful, thankful to him. Well, I, I think on, on behalf of Haas, we have to be uh, very thankful for you and your partner uh, for recently donating for the MBA lounge, which I, funny enough, I am kind of sad because I, I missed it. <laughs> like I graduated in 2020. And so I totally missed the lounge that you guys have put together because back then it was, it was the um, FIFO cafe, right? And the MBA lounge for any, I guess, new students, <laughs> the MBA lounge itself was this dinky little kind of office upstairs with a really worn in couch and some lockers, you know, some like boxes. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you and your partner recently contributed to building this new MBA lounge. And the only thing that I've actually seen of it is photos that my friends at Haas would send me because they like occasionally I'm like, there's this big screen TV, they would profile different alumni and my, my photo would show up once oh, in a nice. while <laughs> and they would just make fun of me and send me photos like, Hey, <laughs> we can't get rid of you. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, but it looked amazing. It looked amazing yeah. from the photos. So they did, thank you they for did an uh, awesome for... job. My husband, Jim and I, we've been together for uh, almost 23 years and married for almost 15. It it's for, first of all, he, he was, he was so instrumental in everything that I've been able to do in a kind of the rock in my success and, and supporting me throughout all of it. And through Haas, you know, going through school and holding a full-time jobs and doing all of that. And, and then sure, I mean, we're certainly fortunate, you know, and I, it's this, you know, the idea of giving back has always been really important to us. And I've given back to the school I started when I was a student. And because again, being, as I said, the enormous feeling of gratitude for the journey and Haas is such an important part of that journey and the learning and, and all of the doors that have opened for me eventually and all of the amazing people that I met and learned from 
and, and being able to draw from and kind of inspiration and then, you know, build it. So, so yeah, it's, FIFA was, it was a nice place, you know, look, I spent many, many, many evenings, you know, <laughs> sitting there and eating my falafel, but it's, yeah, the, I think the designers and the, the, the architects and, and the builders have done an amazing, amazing job with, with the commons and yeah, we're so grateful to, to lend our names, lend our names to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go back and, and check it out. Every, everybody that I know have been like, have you checked out the new MBA lounge? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I have not. <laughs> I, I really need to go check it out. Um, so, you know, tell us what you're up to at Nightingale and anything that as a Hasi that we can help with or. So, you know, first of all, again, as I, as I said earlier, I built or contributed to building because so many people have participated in it, this company for first and foremost, so I can find bigger meaning, I guess, and work and also find a home, find a place where I feel that I belong and I, I can mingle with other people without being afraid of being bullied or being blamed for my humanity every time I make an error, which I like, trust me, I, I still yeah, do. We you all know, have. The, yeah, <laughs> we big ideas do, yeah. guy. It's always, you know, someone works, someone don't. Yeah. So I, it, you know, and it's going back to my starting working in education without knowing anything about it. I was hired to build a nursing program at a brand new campus for this um, private education system in California. And so I uh, kind of came into it with what's sort of my, my own notions of what it should be. And then quickly learned that public policy, accreditation, regulation, all of that don't necessarily fully align with what I think it should be. As a matter of fact, very little of it made sense to me, especially on the kind of accessibility side. I was like, well, why only those people who are 4.0 GPA from like really good secondary schools, why is it only available to them? And why can't you know, community colleges figure out how to support their students who may not, who were not served as well by their neighborhood school because they were just in a poorer community, come from a poorer community and their parents have not gone to college and all of that. Why can't we figure out how to support them? to actually get to graduation, get to licensure, and then gain this upper socioeconomic mobility that I talked about earlier. And so I, you know, I started kind of challenging it's look, challenging the, and questioning it, right. And challenging the status quo. And that's one of those things that are near and dear to my heart. And so I realized at a certain point, and I've, I've progressed in my career in education, a couple of different companies, and then. I uh, was lucky enough to meet an investor who was as passionate about creating something that that would increase access, you know, both geographic access, socioeconomic access, demographic access, not only to education, but to the profession. And so Nightingale was built with that mission in mind, with that, without diversified and available and skilled workforce in nursing, health of the population. You can look at the community population or nation or the world, really. We will not get there. And health is such a, again, basic thing that is needed for everything else in human life to flourish. And so, you know, Nightingale was built with that mission and we continue pushing through with that mission forward. Obviously, the, you know, the college operates across the United States. We have enrollment in 40 plus states in uh, our programs. I mean, we offer everything from practical nursing 
program and kind of the step letter approach all the way through the graduate degrees and, or if somebody has the opportunity and time, the money, the, whatever it is that they need in order to be able to go to a generic bachelor program right away, we offer that. It is essentially this education now through Nightingale is available to anyone, anywhere in the United States. And that is the, that is the cool idea. And through our foundational kind of building foundational skills work, somebody who's a secondary education and primary and secondary, they were just not lucky enough to be born in the right community. I have failed them a bit. We have the tools, we have the support for them, which is free to them, essentially to build up those skills, to be able then to go to the college level coursework and continue with that. So that's where we are. And in our organizational frameworks, kind of the organic development, I've talked about the volitude, but the organic development of, we call it the core seven frameworks uh, framework, which really is, you know, centered in the vision of it, which is all about building better health and better humanity for a better world. And then the mission really is in elevating health and elevating education, elevating employment. Because to me, again, like it was spent so much of our lives at work. And if it's unbearable, right, for, for you and many employers still would just fail to recognize the humanity in, in, in people that, that are there and build organizations that support that humanity, not punish it and develop it and, and allow for growth to happen. So that's the mission and really the pathway, what we call the pathway and how we do it and how we've done it all along is innovative design. So the philosophy there is, you know, again, questioning the status quo and then believing that everything that's been invented can be reinvented. What I really found interesting was just the, the access that you provide. There was a quote that you were saying, you know, you're revolutionizing access to nursing education where the curriculum can be done anywhere online, but then, you know, the individual can then travel to a hub once a semester to engage in supervised field experiences. I think that's, that makes sense. You know? exactly. it's, it's, and, and it's less limiting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the technology allows, I mean, I got fascinated early on in my education career with game-based learning. And so our learners have, they each get like Oculus goggles at home and they engage in virtual reality simulations, which are the efficacy of learning is incredible in that setting and, and something that a nurse may like never encounter or especially a nursing student never encounter in nursing school, otherwise just relying on traditional d delivery and education methods all of a sudden it opens up to them. And so, and, and they can engage with the simulation over and over and over again, make different mistakes while their brain creates this neural pathways, new neural pathways that allow them then in, in real situations to, to be like so effective and get to the best possible outcome. So that's, you know, com technology combined with pushing forward and res resiliency, I guess, and persistence. I mean, cause that's, you know, I, I said before, you know, applying to us, it's persistence and resilience my entire life. And that's, that's essentially how the, how the company is, is growing and what we are becoming essentially. It started as a college and now we're expanding into the educational assets development, like these simulations, uh, virtual simulations, uh, like I talked about. We're expanding, essentially seeing ourselves now as the A to Z nursing workforce developer 
for employers, both the front end and then upskilling, reskilling, uh, training in new technologies and doing all of that. So yeah, it's, I, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. The future yeah. is bright. <laughs> that was going to be my last question was, you know, what are you looking forward to this year? <laughs> but yeah. you kind of partially already answered that, but anything else that you're looking forward to this year? Traveling. <laughs> it's perfect. Been, <laughs> That's yeah, what everyone's been, been saying. Yeah. Being cooped up for a while, though, we've traveled fairly for seeing the world quite a bit. So that, do you have any, but, do you have any like favorite destinations that you, yeah. So one of my, I, I mean, we've been top three are definitely were. Again, I'm lucky enough to have experienced it, but African safari, we did a safari in Tanzania some years ago, and it was amazing. And Antarctica, penguins wow. are hilarious. And so that, that, that <laughs> was absolutely fantastic. And then finally, I, you know, I love French Polynesia. Just discovered, actually, we just got certified as open water divers. On divers? Our, <laughs> on our recent trip. And so, it, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this planet is amazing. Will you be going again anytime soon this year to, to French Polynesia? Yeah, we probably, we probably will. I just, I couldn't get enough of manta rays yeah. underwater. You know? I think I'll be going to Tahiti in, in uh, October. Oh, nice. So, yes. Enjoy. So, have you been? I've not been. One of my oh, buddies yeah. is, he's French. And so he, yeah. he loves going there for, so he's going there for his birthday. So we're, we're yeah, planning a big trip there with family amazing, and whatnots. Amazing place. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. I like you can't. Yeah. The, can't the one wrong. thing he said he really liked about it was just the preservation of local culture. That's something that he really appreciated there. So culture preserved and a lot of many places there do work on environment preservation as well. And kind of figuring out there's this place Tatero that is off of Tahiti. And it's a, they have like a, a science station where many universities research universities and, and marine bio stuff, they, they, they come there and they do their studies and experiments and all of that in hopes to preserve the planet and yeah. the, the, the oceans. Well, thank you so much, Mikhail, for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure having you on. And it was, it was a sincere, just honor just hearing your story. So, well, thank you so much, Sean. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, you know, happy pride, everybody together we can build this better world i still believe in it now give more All love right. <laughs> yeah exactly love and respect more love yeah. well thank you so much thanks Mikhail. thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the one haas podcast if you enjoyed our show today please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player we'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review if you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S.fm. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. Go Bears.